another episode of Between the Bytes, where we discuss IT updates, cybersecurity news, business and leadership ideas. My name is Gary Arnold, and I'm joined today by James Fair. James, how you doing? I'm excellent. Hello, everyone. Thanks for the invite. Always happy to be on these. Of course. We've got just the two of us today. We're talking about, as always, a couple of cybersecurity updates and just internet news in general today. We'll just dive right in and talk about the first one, which is a little bit of a, an urgent one, I guess, as we were talking about it before. Not necessarily new per se. It's, you know, same old tactics, just in different packaging is kind of what it sounds like. But there is a zero day vulnerability for Microsoft Office. And I guess I know we've talked about it on the podcast before, but maybe it's helpful to just redefine some terms. When we say zero day vulnerability, what does that really mean? Yeah, that's a great question. Zero day meaning we haven't had time to patch this thing yet, and yet someone has proven that it's a problem. So it's it's day zero. It's the first day of someone discovering this, of it actively being used in the wild, as they call it, and yet no patch exists yet. So that's the zero day part of this. Consequently, typically more scary. Yeah, yeah. It hasn't, you know, no updates have been applied yet to solve this. It is possible to exploit this right now. So a little scarier than most for sure. So this exploit is called Felina? Felina, yeah. Tell us about that. <laughs> it's a silly name, actually. Uh, as I recall, the name came from the CVS score that gave it which was like a 043, I think, which is the area code of Felina, California. Okay. That's where the name came from. Isn't that cute? Yeah, I know. The names are, uh, <laughs> they have to try really hard for some of these. <laughs> so yeah, Felina is, takes advantage of a vulnerability discovered in the, it's called the Windows Support Diagnostics Tool. Basically, I can send you a loaded Word document that will then execute whatever code I want if you open up that Word document. So, you know, on one hand, it's new and it's a brand new vulnerability and it is not yet patched. On the other hand, we already see a solution for it and we're rolling one of these out to all of our customers. There's a registry change. I certainly don't recommend this, recommend that path to the average user, but if you're tech savvy and you know how to back up your registry before you do it, I always recommend that. Then applying this single line registry change stops it from happening, number one. And number two, like you said, like we talked about earlier, this isn't anything new. We've been dealing with, you know, stuff being sent over office documents for a long time now. So that isn't to say that you should ignore this. You should not. But the answer is what it always is. Don't click on stuff you don't know, right? Don't open the Word document with a suspicious name and the misspelling that came in at 2 a.m. from someone that you think you know. <laughs> that kind of thing. So... So on one hand, yeah, it's bad. It could potentially be exploited. On the flip side, if you're any kind of aware or have some level of healthy paranoia, which I always encourage, then you're pretty safe. We'll say, I don't know, safe's not the right word. It's preventable. How about that? I guess maybe, forgive my ignorance, but aren't hackers able to load most types of malicious code into a Word or Excel file anyway? So it could open up a ransomware, you know, and encrypt your, your system. It could do all kinds of things by opening up the wrong doc or .xls file, whereas this one just happens to be going to the Microsoft diagnostics tool. But if you're opening up a bad file, you could be getting ransomware anyway. True to some degree. So Microsoft has put a great deal of effort into preventing that from happening in later revisions of Office. So you may, lately, if you've opened a document or something from online, 
you'll see that it says something like it's in a, a sandbox mode or it's in protected mode. Mm-hmm. So by default, unless you open something off your computer locally or by something you set as a trusted source, it actually opens it in a mode that does not allow things to run. It won't run on macros. It won't run, except for in this case, of course, it won't run executables. For a long time, we were seeing links sent inside. I think we still are seeing links sent inside of a, an Excel document or a Word document. It says, you know, click, here's the link to get to your invoice, which is the actual link to get the ransomware. So that's a way they're getting around that protection inside of there. So no, I would say there's... Microsoft's done a really good job of creating this protected environment when you open something online that is an Office document. And they've done a pretty good job of that. I'm actually impressed with their way they've handled this. And I guess in addition to that, just them locking down the actual product, the applications like Word or Excel, my understanding is they're way more robust scanning tools on the email side for attachments. I mean, even your basic 101 antivirus is, of course, scanning email attachments. But do you think that, is this current vulnerability slipping through that type of scan? Yeah, because it's zero day, there's been nothing yet built to prevent it from coming through. So that endpoint protection software is typically able to look inside of Office documents, unless it's an encrypted document, by the way. If it has a password on it, then it cannot. But as long as it's a, an open file, it doesn't include a password, then yes, it can look inside of that, of those Word documents, those Office documents. But This is zero day, which means there's been nothing set up to look for that kind of activity to prevent it from happening. So as of right now, we're still a liability for sure. Great. So as always, you know, as you've mentioned before, and our advice many times is be cautious, be suspicious. When in doubt, just don't open it. Don't click it. Yeah. In this case, and and in general, uh, I guess it very much depends, James, but what do you see as the turnaround time for patching this? So I love that the security world seems to be a lot more open and collaborative than it used to be. We've already seen someone said, hey, we found this exploit. And someone else came back and said, ooh, I found the solution for it. And Microsoft, and this is all happening the same day, right? They discovered like this morning and already by what is three o'clock here, Microsoft has released, hey, here's a registry change. And, and all the you know security sites out there are saying, here, run this registry change or run this command line and it will stop it from being a challenge. So I really appreciate that we're being much more collaborative about this. And because now that code is very open and well-known, you know, it should be a matter of hopefully days, if not hours, before Microsoft rolls out an update that it will apply automatically rather than us having to apply these on our own. So yeah, this I think this more collaborative environment has fostered quicker turnaround and security things rather than keeping it in the dark and not letting anybody know and pretending like it's not really happening and hoping that no one's you know exploiting it and then spending months getting it ready to roll out i think we're seeing a lot of pressure from you know online sites when they bring this up to say hey microsoft you're on their flaw now they're going uh oh and i think their turnaround is much faster so i suspect in the next day or two we're going to see something already yeah and that actually i feel like sort of pivots us into the other topic that we were going to discuss today which is around this The Justice Department changing their tone on what they will prosecute for when it comes to digital or cyber related crimes is maybe too harsh of a word because even by previous standards, they weren't really crimes, but they were just practices that weren't officially part of an exact of a policy or so on. I guess there's no way to phrase exactly what that. Oh, there is. There's the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act 
Yeah. The Justice Department is now saying that they will not press charges in certain circumstances around that act. I think that goes back a little bit to what you've talked about, James, in terms of the reporting and the collaboration that's been happening when exploits are found. But maybe walk us through a little bit of the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act, a.k.a. the CFAA, what that entails and what the Justice Department's new take on that is. Yeah. So if you recall, this came out in 1986. This has been around a long time. And as with most anything technical, including the legality around it, it needs to be updated periodically. And this is certainly no exception. So the CFAA or the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act pretty much gave a lot of leeway to persecute anyone who seemed like they were hacking anything. You may recall like, (laughs) well, you may not. Back in 1970, a couple of very famous people, a guy by the name of Steve Jobs, another one by the name of Steve Wozniak, they exploited AT&T's phone system to prank call the Pope. They made this freaking device called a blue box. And so nowadays people are being threatened with prison sentences and their crime was like less than that by any means. So anything that's perceived as a hack, you know, the the government and other prosecutors can kind of throw the book at them or at least threaten them. And this happened in 2011, I believe it was. There was a guy named Aaron Schwartz and this poor guy committed suicide. He was at MIT and he had access to academic journals, I believe they were. And they were these were publicly funded ones. He had legal access to it. It was on MIT's network. And he got in there and grabbed a bunch of these. Well, he's been persecuted. He was just chased after and chased after. And they were threatening 35 years of prison to this guy. And he ended up committing suicide over it. It was bad news. So the law is very open, subject to interpretation. It can be very heavy-handed. It can be used in, in anything such as you know the article mentioned we were looking at, which some white hat hacker comes along and says, hey, I found this exploit. Well, how did you find it? Well, you had to attempt to quote unquote hack us in order to discover that vulnerability in the first place. So now you can be prosecuted under this law, the CFAA law. And now we're finally getting smart about this. We're saying, all right, if we keep this up, people are going to stop blowing whistles. People are going to stop showing exploits. People are going to stop attempting to find problems and at least alert us to those. So let's do something about that. So I'm very glad to see this, actually. It's, it's about time. It's been a long time in the making. And this is all about... So first of all, it's not about hacking. It's about if you have access to something, that doesn't count as hacking anymore. You have to attempt to get into something that you do not currently have access to in order to qualify as hacking and therefore qualify under the next, the CFAA. Otherwise, it's a different violation and it doesn't come with that brutal up to 30, you know, it was like five, 10 and 20 year sentences that came on the CFAA. So really heavy handed. And, you know, it was an attempt to stop hackers or at least put some threat out there if you tried to do hacking of any kind. And it was smart at the time, but with most things, it just doesn't seem to apply that much anymore. What I thought was wild is that it even seemed to apply to things as innocuous as using a fake birthday when setting up some sort of online profile, right. which it, it looked like there was an instance of somebody doing that in MySpace way back in the day and, and it actually going to court. But, you know, I think all of us have fudged that at some point or another, whether it's putting in a fake email address or a fake birthday because you don't want to give your information, but right. technically that's violating their terms of service and their policies, which technically is a violation of this act. So, Good to know that they're not actually serious about chasing all of us down for those types of violations, which, you know, are more violations. But they could. Right. And then companies could go after whistleblowers to say, hey, you you got that information by taking data that you shouldn't have. So therefore, we're going to go after you. 
if you leak this information to the public, that kind of a thing. So we were kind of preventing our own whistleblowers and raising red flags for things that needed to be raised under this current law. So I'm really, like I said, really glad to see this change. It makes a lot of sense. Hopefully we'll prevent horrible things like suicides from people who have threats of large prosecutions looming over them. This might be just a tad too political or policy related of a question, but you know, all of this was just them making statements. Nothing has changed about the act. Nothing has changed about the laws. It's just the folks at the Justice Department have said, we won't plan on prosecuting most of these types of things. However, nothing's stopping them from changing their minds or down the road somebody else is in charge and saying, uh, no, I actually, you know, they're the kind of people that really want the more, we'll just call for what it is, dystopian world of clamping down on all kinds of cyber activities. Is that a worry or am I just, you know, need to take my tinfoil hat off here? (laughs) I know. I like it. I like the paranoia. It's a good topic. You're right. We've, I mean, let's get really political. You know, we're looking at overturning Roe versus Wade, which has been around a long time. So, you know, I, I would say anything is up in the air. This is a Supreme Court majority opinion, so it, it has some legal basis to it, but you're right. It's not a law change. No one has gone in there and updated the CFAA yet. So yeah, depending on the administration, depending on who's in charge of the Supreme Court or the majority of the people at the Supreme Court, their positions on things, that could change. I certainly hope it doesn't. We're headed in the right direction. We do not want to penalize people who raise awareness to things. And not even that, like you said, if I read one article that said, if you put in wrong information in your online dating profile, that that qualifies. If I put a pseudonym in Facebook and I think many of us have created a fake Facebook account to go look at something or, you know, do something different. And so that all qualifies. And that would be silly to allow prosecutors to go after people like that. So <laughs> yeah. We're here. We're already we're already waiting in. I'm curious because this is reminding me a little bit of Julian Assange. Assange, yeah. I guess quick primer for our listeners. This is the founder of Wikipedia, right? WikiLeaks, I should say. What's your take on him being prosecuted and the legality of what went down in his situation? Boy, that is, it's tough. I don't personally have like an opinion one way or the other. I don't know that we should be prosecuting whistleblowers. I think we're doing the wrong thing there. Now, if he's releasing information that could potentially harm someone or cause someone to come to harm, is he liable then? Perhaps. That information is is probably going to get out somewhere or the other. Is it better that we all know about it or that no one knows about it or only a few people know about it? There's the real question. Should everything be open to the public so we can all see it? Should we release more files and make more available to the public? Or do we want to try to keep it locked down so there's a minimum amount of outflow from this? The problem is, in my opinion, the parties who shouldn't get a hold of this are probably going to be the ones that do or are willing to pay for it anyway. So, man. He did a lot of good, I believe. Absolutely. He released information that showed some real problems out there that exist. I think the question comes in, where do you draw the line with that? And is there a line you should draw with that? What's your take? Yeah. And great thoughts. And what reminded me of our topic here is that, you know, the Justice Department is saying, well, we're not going to crack down or prosecute based on these small access to information instances or even small instances of white hat hacking, assuming it's in Good faith security research is how they termed it. But Julian Assange wasn't really any of that. He wasn't gaining access to any systems. It was somebody else, his anonymous sources. He was, you could say, just a type of reporter, really, in that people were coming to him with the probably illegally obtained data and information. 
He was just simply the mode of distributing it and publishing it, which to me, and I'm not a political expert, I'm not a digital expert in that sense, but to me, that doesn't sound like there's anything wrong with that. Even if the information is sensitive or illegally obtained, he's not the one who obtained it. Publishing it is just publishing it. And like you said, the information would have found its way out there one way or another, very likely, especially if these folks, you know, they had obtained it for whatever objective or goal that they had, they wanted to get it out there. Julian Assange just happened to run the biggest site for that type of information anyway. So yes, might as well send it to him. And of course, he's going to say, yeah, I'll put it up. But then, you know, whatever it's been years, decade later, him being holed up in the embassy, yeah, <laughs> living in a yeah. you know 10 by 10 room and all that, it's just kind of crazy that they're going to that length to prosecute him when he really wasn't, in my opinion, he didn't really do any of the bad stuff. Yeah. I mean, there was sexual misconduct claims. Yeah, that's kind of a whole other thing. And I'm not here to defend him in that regards. Gotcha. The dude has problems, obviously. <laughs> but in terms of the prosecuting for the digital, the release of digital information and those files, all he was was the publisher yeah. of a website. No, I agree. So why we're going after him, I don't quite understand personally. Yeah, that's saying that anybody who releases information that we don't want you to release now... You know, it's subject to prosecution. And that's a scary and slippery path to take, in my opinion. Yep. I could easily become the government gets to decide what you can say and cannot say. And that's a freedom of speech thing. So that's, you know, yeah. Yeah. I guess pretty controversial. <laughs> <laughs> but a fun discussion point nonetheless. Uh, yeah. Good topic. Maybe we make this one a future podcast. I was just going to say, maybe we, we go on a deep dive on that. And then, of course, there's Edward Snowden, which is similar, but very different. Yeah, we won't go into that one right now because that one is, I think, a little deeper, but maybe even more cyber relevant than all this other stuff. So anyway, yeah, James, as always, great thoughts. And uh, we appreciate your perspective on these changing laws as there are constantly seem to be updates in laws and perspectives on how we approach things, but of course, the latest vulnerabilities. I guess just wrapping up, do you have any closing thoughts and of course, any closing advice for our listeners? Yeah. I mean, as always, please have a healthy paranoia about your email. It's the most common attack vector these days. So watch for suspicious email. Be aware. Don't get busy and start clicking. Don't open things if you're not sure about them. Because, you know, let's say this wasn't released to the public and we didn't know about this. It would be out there and we could be opening things that we shouldn't. And a lot of times hackers these days can be in your system for months before they actually do anything. So please have a healthy paranoia about your email. Don't click on things. Don't open email you're not expecting. Worst case, I mean, you can pick up a phone and call someone. Hey, did you send me an email last night? Yes, as a matter of fact, I did. Okay, great. Now I know it's safe to open. Just be super cautious these days. It's too common of an attack vector. I know grandma did not send you an email at three in the morning, even though she might have been up then actually. Great advice. Well, James, thank you again for the information and the perspective today. That's it for this week, and we will catch you all next time. Thank you. That was a pleasure. Take care, everyone. Be safe out there.